Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. This is John Burton, um, and I'm here today with my colleague, Jane Baxter. We're going to be talking about her book, The Archaeology of American Childhood and Adolescence from the University Press of Florida. While Jane and I are colleagues and both teach at the same institution, because this is October of 2020 and we're living in a world of COVID, we're actually sitting in our respective homes and talking over Zoom, as many of us are doing these days, in order to stay in touch with our friends and colleagues. So Jane, thank you for, for spending some time talking with me about your new book. Oh, thank you so much for being willing to do this interview. Everything in this particular moment seems a little like a little more effort and I'm grateful for you giving this some of your time and attention. I appreciate it a lot. Well, it's nice to sort of catch up on, on your intellectual endeavors. <laughs> one, one, one of the things I think that's really interesting about the archaeology of childhood is this is a relatively um, new field. Ch childhood is really in the interest in children has come to archaeology relatively recently. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about what initially drew you to the archaeology of childhood as an area. Yeah, I mean, this is a question I... I I often answer when I'm giving talks and stuff. Um, I guess when you're one of the first people to do something, people are interested in how you stumbled on the idea. And for that reason, I always actually think this is a useful question for students and graduate students who think, how am I ever gonna come up with research that nobody's ever done before? What is it like to find an original idea? How does that happen? Um, and for me, it happened when I was in grad school at the University of Michigan. I didn't go there to study the archeology span of childhood. I had other scholarly interests that were motivating me at the time. Um, but instead of a master's paper or thesis, we had to write what was called a preliminary paper. And it was an article length piece of work that analyzed a set of artifacts from an archeological site or some aspect of an archeological mm -hmm. site. And the idea was, is that we'd research it firsthand, conduct the original work, do all the background research and whether or not it was ever published didn't much matter. It was more that you had gone through this process. Um, and this, the site that I had chosen to work on was actually a prehistoric site um, from the late woodland period. So around 1400 AD um, that was in the Midwest. And I was interested in it because it had a really large collection of miniature vessels. So these were really tiny, like hold in the palm of your hand vessels. And they're not unheard of during this period, but this concentration was really unusual, just notably odd. And, and I thought that was an interesting thing to try to learn something about. So as I set out doing the literature review, I thought, well, how do archeologists even think about the idea of miniaturization? And one of the common explanations was that they were for children. And I thought, well, okay, um, but why do you think that? There was absolutely no meaningful, data-driven, theorized understanding of why a small artifact might mean a small person. Um, 
because we certainly know that adults use small artifacts, children use large artifacts, but there seemed to be this really easy correlation that archeologists were making kind of unthinkingly. And it made me realize that nobody had really spent much time thinking about children meaningfully at all. Um, and that's what drew me into the subject. It just happened to be at a time when other people were starting to have this same interest. And I then found the sort of three articles that had been written about children <laughs> in archaeology, um, all of which, you know, I think the first one was in 1989. So it wasn't like I, you know, and so this is in the later 90s. And I had sort of three or four pieces of work I could look at that really were trying to think constructively about children. And I thought, you know, this is really um, something to seize upon. This is something we haven't thought through. Um, and it's a place where I might be able to make some kind of a, a meaningful contribution. And that's, it just sort of took off from there. Well, it's a wonderful reminder too to, to graduates since we're just getting started that one of the pluses sometimes of entering a field where there isn't a great deal of prior, prior information is you might have to theorize more, but you also, your literature review can be extremely comprehensive very quickly. So yeah. <laughs> it was a very succinct chapter and interdisciplinary because I had to look at all kinds of other disciplines to even find meaningful ideas about children because they weren't coming from my own at the time, largely. Well, that explains why the study of childhood has become such an interdisciplinary field, because there is this need for whatever, as a historian, whatever, I know that you really have a need to look at, at other disciplines in order to really do a comprehensive study of children or understand what's going on. Yeah, I so. think it's absolutely true. And I think, I think there's a lot of things. I think that so often, at least in the initial years of doing this, studying children was at the margins of every major discipline. Nobody was making it big in history by being a childhood historian. No. Nobody was making it big in archaeology by being the child, you know, the person who studied children in childhood. And that was true, like, across a lot of these disciplines. And I think you know, the, the momentum that came at a singular time was interesting and, and, and led into interdisciplinary connectivity in really nice ways, both because of the way the academy is set up and the way ideas are valued, but also just um, the fact that it's the best way to study something like childhood is to bring in all of these different sources. It really is. It's one of the reasons why I, you know, since I should truth to tell um, to any listeners, um, Jane and I are, are colleagues and have worked together as well. So it's one of the things that I found really productive is the opportunity in this particular field to have a chance to collaborate with somebody in a different discipline, but asking many of the same questions. So, and as, as truth to tell, I should actually let everybody know that um, I first met you just as you were finishing your dissertation and coming to teach at DePaul. So shortly before you've completed your first book um, and having read that very first book and having read this most recent book, I'm, I'm sort of really struck not only by um, the degree to which your own intellectual development can be seen over this almost 20 year period, but also how the field has changed. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that journey from where the, the study of archeology span and childhood was um, around 2000 and where it is now in 2020. Yeah, I, I can. I mean, in addition to this book, I, I'm finishing um, trying. We're, we're almost ready to get interlibrary loan back so I can have the books I need to complete the second edition of that 2005 Archaeology of Childhood book. It's amazing how COVID has had these ripple effects right into these different places. Um, but I, I have had a lot of chance to, to actively reflect on this. And I think um, 
it's been really interesting in producing these later works to think about um, how early on every single work on the archaeology of childhood, it seemed, had to have a, a sort of preamble that made an appeal to the non-converted, the great unwashed masses, to tell them that, that the archaeology of childhood was important. So there was always this sort of pleading preamble for the importance of what it is you were trying to do in your work. And I think there was also um, a second sort of tier of, of trying to demonstrate that it could be done. So a lot of it was advocacy work for a new topic. And in some ways, I, in retrospect, and I, I've talked about this in some places, it's like you had to take up a third of any scholarly piece explaining why we should even pay attention to the other two thirds of the article, why we should even be attentive to these subjects. And I do think that one of the things that has really happened is enough of this has caught on that that kind of defensiveness and that kind of need to justify the research interest has left us. And I think what we can see has happened is when you when you can start from a position of strength and say, I know this is valid and important. And I also know that this work is doable and feasible and will have a meaningful outcome how much further we can go in our interpretations of understanding children in the past, and also how critical children can be as um, a position, as a platform, as a lens to looking at social life and economic life and all of these other aspects of life in the past more generally. So I think that, that one of the biggest things that has changed is this um, realization that 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 it was a good idea to study children <laughs> that it that it does really bear fruit and what you can see is just newer and bolder and more creative works taking place from this position of strength rather than one of of justification yeah i think that's very true J jane's new book is the archaeology of american childhood and adolescence from the university of press of florida one of the things that struck me is in your first book much of what you're trying to do is sort of tell people how to do this study and one of the things that really i noticed in this book is that there's been enough work done that we're starting to see competing interpretations um authors building on each other um and 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 now it's not a case of a single case study, but multiple case studies. It, it must have made this really a challenge when there was, when you had such a broader range of people to draw from, not only from your own work, but from others as well. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's incredibly satisfying, right? It sort of, it's, it feels like makes, a- Makes it harder, more work, but it's but, satisfying. Yeah, a very satisfying um, piece of work. I mean, I will say, I think that it was interesting that what I, found, you know, was this sort of interesting dialogue and different ideas and people taking different angles and, and producing productive and useful scholarship that you could use to tell um, better stories and have better insights about American childhood, particularly through the archaeological record and, and through the material record. Um, but it was also interesting to see sort of places where um, people now feel confident just assuming the presence of children, but they don't actually build out the full analysis. And um, so I think that there is in this um, all kinds of variation in scholarship, but it's, it is in a different place. You know, one of the reviews that I, I kind of love, I write about this in the preface to the 
next new book, the second edition that's coming out, is one of the, they ask for reviews of your first edition and by people who use the book. And one person said it took her three chapters to get to archaeology. And I thought, you know, if you look at the bibliography, I had less than 30 sources on the archaeology <laughs> of childhood in 2005. I, I, I didn't have a full book if I just used those sources. And now the really nice thing is um, there is so much diversity, you can't actually tackle it all in a single book. Um, and that's, that's a really wonderful position to be in, you know, and I, I had to make some real editorial choices when it came to this book, because there was too much that could be done. Um, you know, so I made some choices like not including Native American childhood in the book. Um, because how do you even begin to tackle that second topic that now has its own emerging rich literature base, um, I had to at some point make a choice. And I said, well, I can't do a little, so I'm not gonna do any um, because I can't do a little and do it well or do the topic justice or make it feel like it was in some way representative of what there is to say. So I really had to make some editorial choices and say, I have enough here and I can tell a, a more cohesive story. Um, and that, that was really cool, right? Because you're right, it's, it's not a single story. It's, it's, there's some complexity evolving in these various areas of domestic life and institutions and things like that, so. Um, you've, you've published quite a number of books on obviously on the history of childhood. And what did you see, what do you see as the particular contribution of this work? And do you have sort of a target audience? Uh, do you see its argument appealing to one specific group of individuals um, or some subset of the, history of childhood community? Yeah, well, this was written specifically to be in this series. So the University Press of Florida Archaeology of the American Experience series is edited by um, Dr. Michael Nassani, and he has done a wonderful job pulling together dozens of volumes from different scholars on, on topical approaches to the American past through archaeology. Um, and, you know, when I was asked to do this, I was really excited, but I also realized there are so many wonderful historian, historians who have written books on American childhood. And so I really wanted to write a book that was deeply rooted in archeology. span I didn't want to, you know, historical archeology span is so interdisciplinary and there's so much that we can draw from and write from. And I think that shows up in this book. It shows up in, in any historical archeology span study. You have photographs, you have documents, you have all of these kinds of things, but I really wanted to keep it rooted in, in archeology span so that it would be something that didn't compete with and instead offered a different perspective than the really wonderful books that have been written in recent years by historians on specifically the idea of American childhood. So while I bring them in, I think that this book is really designed to give an archeological voice to the conversation of what American childhood is about, um, particularly because of the landscape of, of what exists already, trying to grapple with this concept of American childhood. So, you know, uh, I think it's accessible to people who aren't archaeologists, but I think that it is definitely for people who want a particularly archaeological lens on this particular topic. Well, and I think that sort of captures, you know, I think it's very important that the book is entitled um, uh, that it's about American childhood and adolescence because it's both about, it's about the archaeology of a very 
specific, of course, wide ranging group of people, but it, it's, you know, archeology span and childhood is one piece of it, but certainly trying to identify um, what's specifically American, if that's even meaningful, I think is the other important theme that you captured that I, I think was really very important. Um, trying to understand whether America is exceptional or not seems to be as much an archeological question as a historical question. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And as we know, I mean, you can turn on any news source you'd like today and try to figure out who's America we're talking about, <laughs> you know, and then you put that through the, the Wayback Machine filter to look at the past. And all of those same incredible challenges that force you to think about the dynamism and the contested nature of America. Um, so not only how do you create the boundaries of what that is, and then how do you deal with all of the diversity of what's inside that entangled mess um, was definitely an interesting, again, editorial and kind of framing challenge, but it's the challenge that the series offers to all of its writers. You know, and how do we at a time defined in many ways by emergent globalization, we're all looking at, at a period where capitalism is spreading across the globe and having all these implications, how do you then create something that t pulls out the American? And uh, yeah, that, that was a big challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and one of the things I was really impressed by too is the degree to which the book really has to grapple with the complexity of what was American in all time periods. I mean, it's, it's not just about um, time periods as being homogeneous, but instead you actually have such diversity, whether you're dealing with 19th century childhoods or 20th century childhoods, or even 21st century childhoods, as you um, discuss at the conclusion of your book. So it's, it's, there, there, it's not a, a linear model of, of childhood, which I really appreciated very much. Thank you. Yeah, no, there are so many ways we can divide America, right? It's in a, in a little analytical framing. So um, yeah, I did try to, to do something a little bit different so that we could see multiple lines um, of analysis in, in that one big problem. So thank you. Yeah, it, it, it definitely worked. I thought it came together really well. Um, you talked at the sort of the beginning of this discussion about the challenges that studying the archaeology of childhood had 20 years ago. Um, certainly, your own work and the work of others has shown a great deal of progress in that area. But I'm wondering if, what sort of some of the challenges you see out there um, that there are for studying this um, area in, in, in the future. You talk a little bit about that at the end of your book. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that it, it's interesting because I feel like this is such a, this topic entered into archeology span at such a moment where there is so much reflexivity as a discipline, thinking mm -hmm. about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and, and, and so I think, you know, I think that there are, are several challenges. You know, one of the challenges that I had, and I kind of mentioned this briefly when I was writing this book and it has made me aware of it is that for some people, the archeology span of childhood has simply meant, um, th there was a really famous quote about sort of gender and archeology span that early attempts at gender archeology span were just add women and stir. <laughs> and there was no real sort of, um, theorizing or problematizing, but for a lot of people, they were then doing enlightened feminist archeology span because they had mentioned women. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are still a lot of people who um, interestingly approach this as a new field rather than looking at the deep 
but short history that it does have. Um, and I think that there is also this, well, I mentioned children, so I covered my bases, um, as opposed to really spending the time thinking about archeological sites as places where we're looking at systems of relationships. And that's challenging because it's asking us to look at more intangible things. Um, but I do think that that's the future. An archeology span of childhood that only studies children is not particularly helpful always or interesting. It's a stepping stone, I think, to something that helps us um, see children in relationship to the world around them in terms of the built environment, the material environment, their social environments. Um, and they can, that particular perspective can tell us a lot. And I think that we need to see an increase in scholarship that isn't just saying, oh, and there were probably children here too since it's a house. Well, good, but what are they doing, <laughs> right? Like, what are they bringing to the table? Um, and I think also, you know, I, like I said, I don't think we have to defend it anymore, but I, I do think that we need to think of ways um, and keep pushing for ways for more archeologists to connect childhood and in, into the, not only into the social mix, but also into the analytical forefront of what they're doing, that you can't just add children and stir, that you have to sort of bring something else to bear and really think of, of how everybody was interacting, both with one another and in spaces. And I think that that's not something that we're, we're seeing fully realized. So I think that that's a challenge because it's, it's not an easy thing to do, <laughs> so. Well, one of the things I appreciate is you talked a little bit about the, the tyranny of toys. I mean, toys have played such a large role in understanding the material culture of children. And on the one hand, they can be tremendously useful, but at the same time, they, they sort of constrict your focus of being sort of, uh, here's another set of artifacts that seem to be about children, let's talk about them, rather than talking about a whole site as, as including children, that um, the, tyranny of, the tyranny of toys seemed to still be out there um, in the history of childhood, although um, for, for pluses and minuses um, in the field. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and I think, you know, and I understand that there are challenges but it, it, with dealing with them, but you're right. I mean, it, it's almost like, well, I found some toys, so tick children were there. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not really a meaningful analysis in any way. Um, and I, so I, I do think that there is, um, there are ways that we have to think a little more creatively. You know, one of the earliest critiques of the historical archeology span of childhood by Lori Wilkie back in 2000 um, was that, we have this ready-made set of evidence that allows us to say, look, there are children here, but it doesn't mean that historical archeologists were particularly privileged or better at actually analyzing children in meaningful ways. Um, and so in some ways they became an easy crutch. It was a way of saying, look, inclusivity, look who's here without actually doing the harder work. And I think there is, um, that, that sense that, that children were everywhere and using all kinds of objects. And as I try to point out in the book, parents are often the ones who are picking out the toys. So putting them simply in the, the wheelhouse of children or sort of in the purview of children ignores the fact that these are relational objects that are showing us relationships and connections with all kinds of things. Um, and we need to continue to build better tools to explore that and perhaps uh, choose to explore them more consistently when we're looking at, at our archeological evidence. 
Well, I was, as a colonial American historian, one of the implications that, that sort of came out for me was the, there's obviously we know that in, in the Northern colonies, there were far more children in households than there were adults given the family size. Yet when we look at the material culture of early America, there still is so much focus on the household as a patriarchal unit. Um, and we sort of tell the story of the household from um, primarily the father and secondarily the mother and don't think about necessarily nearly so much about what it would have been like to have been a child in a household where you didn't have your own bedroom, you didn't have necessarily even a bedstead, you may not have had the same kind of dishes or the same kind of access to material objects on a day-to-day -day basis and how that may have affected childhood. So for me, there was a real implication here, even in looking at um, a field that's been relatively well-trod, yet we've not necessarily thought about it by simply turning attention to the child in that household rather than the adults. So I really appreciate that. Oh, I love, I love that insight because you often think when you, you tour colonial homes and they say, and there were 15 children in this room and nobody ever stops to think about what would that have been like as a child? Like really deeply, like we all kind of gasp, right? At the numbers, but you're right. We don't kind of turn the analysis fully on its head to and think say, about that experience of, of being in a household. And what does it mean that you don't have any defined space of your own? Um, you know, th this has sort of been yeah. so important in trying to understand colonial women not having a sense of space either in these relatively small households. But um, in fact, children had even less of a sense of space um, within, within that household. And what, what would that mean for you in terms of um, your relationship to your parents and, and, and to your peers? So it was really very helpful and, and insightful for my own, my own thoughts. So I appreciate oh, that very much. I'm so glad. So she's a friendly interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I liked your book. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are sort of some of your next, um, next steps that you've got? I know you, you said you have a second edition of your archaeology of childhood coming out, but what other sorts of things are on the forefront for you um, after the archaeology of American childhood and adolescence? Yeah, I do. You know, I mean, I'm actually interested. I have three book contracts right now, only one of which is this related to childhood directly, um, the, the second edition, which will come out with Rowan and Littlefield, I'm hoping still next year in 2021. That's the goal. Um, but again, COVID has, has put the brakes on things at all kinds of stages. So we'll see. Without um, a doubt. <laughs> Yeah, I also have a, a book that's going to be coming out in a series with the University uh, Press of Toronto um, on my work in Chicago's Pullman neighborhood. It's a it's going to be a book that looks um, both talks about archaeology, but it also is supposed to be at the same time a reflection, a first person reflection on that archaeology. So. Um, tipping your hand a little bit. It's designed for students to okay. say, here's what I did and here's what the archeology span looked like, but here's what I was thinking. And here's a mistake I think I made and here's something I could have been done better. And here's where I really patted myself on the back and here's why I made this choice. So the idea is, is the, the book is gonna be uh, a review of the archeology, span but in a way that gives some transparency to the archeological span thinking behind what often just appears as an end product in print. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it's a fantastic writing challenge. Um, and it's nice to, you know, I always think about my writing as um, I'm trying to teach through my writing. And I think that that's never been more explicit than with this book. It's actually a chance to really 
going into what I think of as that narrative structure and form and, and choice making in terms of how I want to tell stories and talk about things. Um, you know, the goal has always been to be a teacher and to be accessible, uh, but this is really much more explicit. And then following on that, the third contract is actually for a co-authored textbook, a major archaeology textbook for intro to archaeology courses that's going to be with SAGE. Um, and I'm co-authoring that with Tracy Ardren and April, April Noel. So two scholars who I've actually met because originally years ago because we were all studying children <laughs> when we've all come together and, um, and we are gonna be writing um, a textbook for the introduction to archeology, span which I am certain will have a fair amount of childhood content given our shared interests, our overlapping interests in that. Um, and then I could just say the one, the one other thing is I'm starting a new project that builds on the work that I've done on children in Chicago cemeteries. So I've had a couple of articles published on that and it's something I teach regularly at DePaul, but um, I'm actually turning it into a much larger project, hopefully on the American family as seen through cemeteries. So I guess I, I wanna go back for more punishment and try to really grapple with what makes something American uh, as I look at a different institution in that particular light, so. Well, and it is sort of the other way of really studying the family. I mean, it's uh, uh, cemeteries by their very nature are kind of a permanent testimony um, to individuals and to family. So it sounds like a really exciting work. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I'm really glad we had this chance to catch up and I'm, I'm really very excited about your book. Once again, it's Jane Baxter's The Archaeology of American Childhood and Adolescence coming out from the University Press of Florida and congratulations on this latest work. Thank you so much, John. And also we should just say really quickly as we sign off, thank you to the Society for the History of Childhood and Youth for featuring this book on their website and for the chance to do this recording. Yes, it's been fun. I hope you all have gotten a much better insight into Jane's work. And please do read the, the book. It's an excellent work and it, it covers the field very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. shcy.org.